When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply pack it all very shortly but to get us started scotty a sunday snap uh, for me <laughs> yes <laughs> right okay thank you i buddy. know i know that now i will pause before that is Hang introduced on, can, we, can we have that again <laughs> that's a sharp snap it isn't is. it uh you know, the domino effect we talk about and how trades can potentially work for everyone, etc. And I've raised it because of the increased speculation around that through the week with Taranto and Hopper. Uh, and they were excellent performers, which I'm sure we'll discuss later on yesterday. Two critically pivotal players in Richmond getting a win. Mm. But what it's opened up at the Giants for Tom Green. I mean, he was outstanding last night. So you see that he's getting greater midfield minutes. I think he was dropped last year, which when you think on reflection mm. is crazy. But it was bizarre at the time as well, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it, I think it was too. I thought... Uh, Certainly raised some eyebrows at the time. Yeah, perhaps... It, the default position for all coaches is, you know, we want him to work on the defensive yes. aspect of his game, which is a really intriguing aspect because our great midfielders, I think 80% of them are poor defensively because they hunt football. Yeah. Nat, Nat Fife's never defended. Doesn't that's, David Hardwick right. tell Justin Martin not to defend? He just like, says, Don't run the other home. way. <laughs> that's right. So it's an intriguing one. It's almost like, okay, they've wheeled that out again. Um, but he was outstanding last mm. night. Perhaps the story of the game. Uh, was his performance, and he almost got them there, and not a lot went right for the Giants, but I just think that that's opened up for him and where they're at. But then you also have Taranto and Hopper that are performing extremely well for Richmond, and it's not their fault. Let's look at more broadly. It's not their fault that perhaps their time has passed. They're still very good players that are with a, a younger list or, an a, or a combination of ageing lists, some younger players introduced that they might not be there to get the next run or the next run's not now. But let's in isolation look at them at quality players and what they're bringing to Richmond. Do you think Tom Green re-signed in February this year until the end of 2027 because there was money left on the table from Hopper and Taranto's departures. Mm. Oh, You're a play manager. Is that yeah. how it works behind the scenes? Uh, I would have thought if he was waiting at the time, he would be, as a young player, he's a young star. Uh, he'd be looking at opportunities in the midfield. And then as we get further, we, we, they announced the broadcast deal last year. You expect the CBA to go up significantly so therefore money is created and they're going through a risk a, a list readjustment uh, and you start to see where they would have his management group would have seen where does he fit within the team and what they're going forward and that's how you create the value so absolutely that's a part of it and they would have known the exposure he would get to the midfield this year and knowing how good a player he'll be and what he could do this year it all times in really well. 38 disposals and three goals. Not a bad yeah. night out at and all. And they were big goals. They were, we talked about yes. Toby. They were at critical times. They got them back into the game. He pushed forward hard. He challenged Bont going the other way, and Bont was outstanding as well. I mean, coin flip on who was the best on the ground, mm. but they were just hugely influential. And a real mature game for Tom Green because you're going up with – 
against who I would say is the most informed mid in the competition. Do we think he's a future captain, Tom Green? Uh, I don't know well enough what happens behind the scenes at the Giants, but he's certainly playing that way at the moment. Yeah, so I reckon spot on. I think it's important that your captain is doesn't have to be the best player, but an excellent player. Um, that's a big tick. So then there's the cultural spa, the cultural aspect inside how you lead. Are you that type of person? Could a captain burden a player or is he fit for it? Uh, that'll be the decision they'll make. But what you see is he looks very much like that type of player because um, Toby's out, so he steps up. So th- there's a bit of that as well. It's okay. Who's going to step up? Who's going to fill the breach? And I thought he did it superbly well. Tom, your Sunday snap. Okay, so this uh, this caught my attention during the week, Sarah. You were down in Tasmania on Wednesday. And I was, yes. Jeremy Rockliffe was a name, probably, to be fair, not familiar with most mainland Australians for the last 13 months since... Are oh, you a- one of those dudes? You're dividing us into Tasmania <laughs> and mainland Australians. I'll continue. <laughs> he, uh, it was not, it's not a name that's familiar with most Australians not from Tasmania <laughs> over the past 13 months um, since he was elected as Tasmania's Premier. And this was his grand final. This was his biggest day in office, Jeremy Rockliffe. He had a new football team. He could stick his chest out and he could say, this is what we're doing for Tasmanian tourism, the economy, the people, the sports landscape. This is going to redefine this state, not just to Australia, but also to the world with a new stadium. It's going to be massive. I think I know where you're going with this one. But there's one (laughs) main thing that he did wrong and this was it. And uh, can I thank... Uh, the AFL, uh, Gillian. So he's, <laughs> he's got Gillian McLaughlin's name wrong. And not only that, you'd think that when you get the AFL CEO's name wrong, which can happen, we all make mistakes sometime, the most important office in the land, if you're a politician, is the Prime Minister. And you should know the Prime Minister's name. To be with the Prime Minister, Albanese. <laughs> Anthony Albanese and Gillian McLaughlin. Jeremy Rockliffe has done an amazing job as Premier in Tasmania. He's allowed, along with the former Premier, this team to be set up. But <laughs> these two errors on Wednesday were hilarious. Was it a bit of a flex? Oh. I feel like sometimes politicians oh. do do that. Are we giving him the benefit of the doubt? Do you, th- do you think he meant to do it? Oh, I'm not how's, sure. How's your disclaimer? He's done a wonderful yeah. job. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I actually don't know do you- if he's done a wonderful job. Oh, down no, there. No, I've got no idea about Tasmanian <laughs> politics. <laughs> well said, though, but seriously, I wonder, what, I wonder, to have a joke with it, how much that'll cost the Tasmanian movement. There'll be a cost somewhere. <laughs> yeah. It'll be, there'll be a, an agreement, the roof can't, AFL, can you help? It's yeah. like, nah, go to your friend Albanese yep. and he can bail you out because if you can't get my name right, I'm not giving you another dollar. And what a great moment for the game, though. It was a great moment for the game. Yeah, it was. And if you watch this press conference from one angle on YouTube, you can see Gillen, Gillen McLaughlin in the background. Gillian. And when, Gillian. He's, when he gets called Gillian, he does very well to keep a straight face. <laughs> it, was a, it was a great day for Tasmania. You were down there, Sarah. I was, Talk us, yeah. Talk us through um, talk us through the feeling and the vibe down there. Well, there was a vibe, but unfortunately it was a really rainy day. And what <laughs> we've been told this entire build-up is that Hobart is the second driest capital city in Australia behind Adelaide. It's, which, not, it's not like we've got 20 capital cities, though. <laughs> like, but it, it, is the second, really? it is the second driest, yes. Yeah. And unfortunately it was raining the entire day, but still a really historic day. Smiles everywhere you were looking. Kids were pumped. Jeremy Rockliffe was pumped, and I think it's going to be a really great addition for the league in, what, five years' time? They've got to get moving. Do, do they have the second 
uh, least rainy days because snow doesn't count. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've gone down there for radio several times. Yep. Yeah. You see the snow on the peak. Mount and, Wellington, and yes. It, and it might not be raining, but it's two degrees. Yeah, and it feels like negative yeah, six. That's right. So give me 14 degrees and some <laughs> rain any day. Um, what, but what, fantastic. Fantastic Absolutely. news and a decision. We'll have a joke with it, though. Absolutely. Gillian and Albanese. <laughs> who, I wonder who was the first person to say to Gill, hey, Gillian, <laughs> what's going on? I could probably name a few yes. at the AFL headquarters. <laughs> As can you, Sarah. What's your snap? Uh, my Sunday snap is Noah Anderson. Mm. Look, he didn't get his side over the line yesterday, but he did everything within his power to possibly do just that. One goal from 37 disposals, 10 clearances, and I know he's playing alongside a good friend, a schoolmate, and the number one pick from his draft year, but I think Noah Anderson has gone past Matt Brown. Mm. What are your thoughts on that, Scotty? Uh, that is certainly not a slight on Matthew Rowell. No. But I think yes, because he does more. He can, he's got power out of stoppage, kicks goals, etc. cetera. Uh, in terms of... You know, that clearance work, Rao's been excellent. And I think he's got back to what we expected. But And he set the tone in the first quarter right. yesterday, but, Matthew Rao. But credit where it's due, Noah Anderson uh, has played super footy. And I did hear Stuart Jew say in the press conference, mm. uh, you know, he's a little bit off Broadway. I think you guys have been a little bit slow onto it. Because I think this he's been doing this for a couple of seasons now. But you're quite right. What was so most impressive about that game for me was Rao and Anderson, 10 clearances each against the best two in the comp, Petrarca and Oliver. So they went up against them. And I would say they if they didn't beat them, they broke square at worst. And that's a huge feather in your cap going up against a Melbourne team that prides itself on the contest. Mm. They were able to nut them in that area of the game. So it was a, a really mature performance by the Goalkers who just didn't quite get the result they perhaps even deserved. Isn't it interesting when we talk about... Um, the Tasmanian team coming in, our minds automatically go to, okay, what's the 20th team? Which which players are they going to pick up when they come in? And you look at the players who are out of contract at the end of 2027, Noah Anderson is one. Mm. And Noah Anderson is tracking to be an AFL superstar. You just hope that wherever he goes, he can have success. Or stays. Or stays. Um, but he's committed to the Suns to the end of 2027. And you're right, Sarah, He's um he's been off Broadway, but his football is as good as any midfielder in the competition on a consistency basis. Every week he plays well, Noah Anderson. And Matt Rowell's playing well as well, but it, Anderson's an incredible footballer. Was it last year that he kicked the goal off the siren? Against Richmond, yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, you yeah, know that. I know that very well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what do we make of, of the loss? Is it an honourable loss for the Suns? Do we need to stop viewing losses like that? Or do we just think that they were unlucky? Because in the end, it was just five points that separated them and Melbourne. And Scotty, as you were touching on before, they met the challenge at the coalface. And really, if you're looking at the stats after the game, you would have thought perhaps the Suns have actually walked away with the four points here. It wasn't to be. How do we view the game? Both. Yeah, uh, It was both a strong performance, but as a team, you've got to get past that. That's the next step in a team's evolution, which is where the Gold Coast sit. They need to get into the category that they, they win those. And then they're in and around the eight. They're not there yet, but they're right on the edge. And they've got that talent there. Uh, it's just how they best realise it strategically, structurally, in order to get what they deserve. Darcy McPherson's miss towards the end of the game would have really hurt him. He hasn't kicked a goal. Sorry, he's kicked one goal in 35 games. So he's not a known goal kicker. But it was left up to him to be the hero, and he missed. But if he kicks that goal... 
I think the scores are level. They are. They would. Be, yeah. yeah, they would have been. So level. they at least get a draw. We say it every week. It's a lot easier to go from. 16th or 17th to 12th and 13th, and then incrementally harder to go from there to 9th or 8th. That's where the Gold Coast Suns are at at the moment. The Suns are good, Sarah. What, what did you make of the way they played? Oh, I just I was really hoping for a Gold Coast win towards the end uh, because I just thought it kind of was almost a coming-of-age game were they to get the four points, and they really met the Melbourne challenge head-on, and they were doing it as well without Tuke Miller, their skipper. Mm. And to win the contest, to go up against, you know, Petrarca and Oliver without Tuke Miller and to win the contest, I thought that was really impressive. But I'm also a little bit sick of talking about coulda, shoulda, woulda when it comes to Gold Coast. Yeah. Like, you do want to see them seize a game and, and actually get across the line there. And I hope... And I agree with Stuart Dew's messaging after the game about his proud and so forth. I hope internally, though, it's challenged in a different way that we should have won that that game and we didn't because of A, B, C and D. Because you just look at the good teams and how they review games. They review a game as though they should have won every game and mm. we didn't win because, not we did, this is why we did well. So... Just for them to keep going, I, I hope it's a really critical review because it, once you get that, you'll get expectations building internally from players and with that comes confidence and, hey, we expect to win today and when we don't, we get disappointed. We're not happy with getting close enough to a good team and you can add when you talk about the midfield, Wits going up against the two-punch of Grundy and uh, Max Gorn they went forward and kicked goals, but more is for settling forward. So I think Simon Goodwin would be happy to get four goals out of the two of them. But also I think Gold Coast would be very pleased with the way that Wits was able to work them around the ground and in the ruck to give Anderson and Raoul first use. Well, this was Stuart Jew yesterday after the loss. He was saying it burns because he's still so proud of the club. Uh, well, it does, it does but it, it burns, um, I guess, because of the... How, how proud I am of our, our group. Um, so it doesn't... I feel like, look, if we show that much effort, competitiveness and, and heart, then um, I guess that's that's all we can ask. And you're going to win some of those games. And tonight we didn't. And we'll, we'll keep looking to get better. But I'm not sure we could ask much more in terms of effort from our players. And I, that was the message after the game. And... Uh, I sort of I just said, look, if you if you don't get confidence from a performance like that, and the ability to continually come back when we you know dropped two or three goals down and kept at it, um, you know we changed a few things according to conditions and um, so look, I just said, yeah, come and see me if you're lacking, if you don't, don't believe it, um, we'll straighten you up. You, you better believe that that's that's a a serious um, contender we played and, and push right to the line. So Stewie Jew, they're putting on a pretty positive spin after the loss. The umpiring, Tom, <laughs> it's it's going to be discussed throughout yeah. the week. And I feel like, you know, it's only really the losers that bring up umpiring. Yeah. But do we need to put a lens on it today? Because there were some interesting calls, particularly towards the end of Probably the game. Probably two interesting non-calls yeah. were the ones that had people talking. But, um, you know, I, I listened to Jared Waitley during the week and he very rarely criticises umpires because he finds the conversation tiring or tiresome. And David King is the same. And I, to be honest, I'm the same as well. Mm. I think the continual criticism of umpires is tiring. Now, it was warranted after Collingwood v Adelaide because they were obvious misses. And I think there was probably a couple of ones yesterday that were obvious misses as well. But 
Ben King ran into the back of Harrison Petty when he didn't expect it, and that led to a goal for Max Gorn. Now, you could argue, oh, he, he gave them a certain goal, but you can't umpire based on where the free kick would be. It's a free kick, and that's where the ball happens to be at the times when Max Gorn kicks the goal. Um, there was, a, there was also Joel potentially should have been shooting for goal, not McPherson. Agree there. Yeah, that's right as well. So, but there's all these things. There's, there's, this happens in games all the time. There's the, it just happens to be in a game of tight margins. There's umpiring calls that mean so much more than in a game which is balanced one way or the other. I, I agree with you as well. It's tiresome, and very rarely does umpiring affect the outcome of a game. Mm. It does occasionally. But we should never not talk about it in order to be better or look no. to improve it. Um, and it's funny and, and getting a little off track. Look, the, the full-time umpiring, that'll – who says? Like, we start four umpires. Who says that helps? Because in a lot of sports, you can get a sense of the call from – if you had one umpire, you'll be in no doubt to the consistency. What they're Like, early on, you generally pick up the feel of it. Mm. If you have two, you add, okay, there's two different maybe slight differences, then three, then four. So are we getting a variance in interpret because everyone has a different view on things, don't they? So I wonder whether how that works as well, whether we're getting more views of interpretation, which makes it more challenging. What we do do in defense of the umpires is add so many layers to like we don't take anything out of the umpiring manual, do we? We add a few extra pages each year of what they have to interpret and yes. how they have to think about it. We're making the game harder and harder for them. So I think that's something we need to look at as well to simplify when best we can. Because now, you know, for example, um, r- tackles. Like, There's such a focus on how we take the player to ground. Does he hit his head? Does he so forth? That we've added that layer to the umpires and what they need to do. So I really feel for them in that and respect them also, but we still need to acknowledge and work on, okay, what what decisions can we get better? Because we just need that for everyone, don't we? D- did Gold Coast get the rub of the green? No. Did it entirely cost them the game? Also, no. I think as well with the fourth umpire now, it's incumbent on players to know, I am not going to shove someone off the ball because it's going to get picked up. Yeah. And like that yeah. was a really costly time of the game. I think the Suns were trailing by just – Eight points. They had the momentum, and the momentum was absolutely quashed yeah. and halted when Max Gorn just went back and kicked the simplest of goals. But that's got to be on the players, doesn't it, Tom? It has to be on the players. I think players are pretty quick to learn most of the time. That was a mistake from Ben King. I was listening to the SEN broadcast at the time. I don't actually know who the special comments person was, but they were saying um, that Harrison Petty actually um, staged or went down too easily. And it's hard to tell from the angles that I've seen on the TV, but the reality is Ben King had no reason to make any contact in the back at that point. So that's right. Just because he overemphasizes the contact doesn't mean it wasn't there and it's not a free kick. Because there's not degrees of free kicks, is there? It either is or it isn't um, with that in mind. Well, yeah. let's hear from Stuart Jew because he was asked about it post-match. Uh, yeah, yeah, you got no choice. Have you? you just keep going. Um, you can't stop and say, "Excuse me, can we have another look at that one?" So, I think the players, and that's that's part of the reason why when you walk away from a game like that, I full confidence in where we're going. Our connection is really strong. Um, like I said, I don't want to be too buoyant about a loss, but geez, a, a fair bit of heart and togetherness about this group and in adversity as well, which is good. Last week, the AFL sent a memo to the clubs, which detailed, or I guess, uh, um, no, warned against 
criticising umpires? Because I think there was a uh, sort of a, a subtext of criticising the umpires last week among coaches. Chris Fagan, Ken Hinckley, I think Ross Lyon may have mentioned the umpires. None of it was over the top, but the AFL just wanted to make sure that the, the coaches knew that criticising umpires post-game is not on. So Bef- he's showing the line there. Before yeah. it gets worse, we'll rein it in. Just, hey, guys, yeah, it's a soft one. And also there'd been some perhaps overly theatrical um, displays from the coaches that are coaching on the boundary line, hasn't there? Yeah. Which is not what you what you want. So the special comments person in that game was Dane Zorko for Brisbane, who said that um, Harrison Petty made the most of that contact. And he had the best – he would have had the best view because he would have been side on to that, con- that um, incident. Yeah. Saying that, Ben King shouldn't have made any contact at all. So if he doesn't make any contact, there's no decision for the umpire yeah. to make. Yeah, Don't make it right. easier for the umpires. Yeah. The Ds are six and two. Mm. They're on top of the ladder. They're just travelling along pretty nicely, aren't they, Scotty? Yeah, they are. Uh, because I would say that they're not playing at their best and yeah. there's areas they can work on. But as you, you've got to bank wins. You need 15 to be top four. How we get there? And then we'll work it out from there because so often we discuss teams that, and I was the first to say at the mid-year point last year, I thought Melbourne were a four-goal team better than anyone. Mm. Well, they didn't. They didn't get it done. No, they didn't get it done because things change. Teams get going at different stages. So I wonder whether they've had a slightly different approach. Geelong's a classic example of where they've built and they've been very good at it good at it over years when they rest guys and they just stagger their prep in a sense that they're peaking at the right time. So perhaps Melbourne have had a look at that knowing that, okay, we're going to get judged on the month of September. Let's get there and then let's go again. And they're extremely fit as well. Mm. Their premiership hopes in 2021 were really dictated by their amazing fourth quarters and to a lesser extent their second halves. And they've won all eight fourth quarters this year as well. And let's not underestimate the length of season. There's There's an extra game. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Mm. And to maintain top form for 23 weeks, because it really is a truly brutal game. Look, um, it was interesting through the week, the Mason Cox 60 Minutes interview, yeah. how he's explaining the game. <laughs> and look, the American reporter couldn't get over the size of the field yeah. <laughs> and the games played compared to other combat sports. So yeah. that, that's another element is just how you manage through the year because so many unforeseen things happen that you just want everyone peaking at the right time. Quite right, Sarah. They're going along nicely. All right. You're listening to Sunday Crunch Time. Up next, we'll unpack the dog's win over the Giants. And Tom, he brings out the news whip. 